Hello and welcome to Rajam Radio, Episode 5, Apple and the Video Market. I am your host, Pavan Rajan. Hope you're doing well whenever it is you're listening to this. So today's episode is the first breakout episode in which I take a topic or conversation from a previous episode of the show and put it out as its own thing. These will usually be topics uh, that are more timeless. They don't really have an expiration date and aren't really tied to like news of the week or anything. The thinking here is to take the ideas and conversations that I think can stand on their own, uh, that are some of the best things that I've done on this show, and make them more accessible to either people who are new to the show or who haven't listened to every episode. Today's breakout episode is about Apple and the video market. You may remember that in episode one of the show, my friend Sam Gross joined me to talk about the state of Apple's video products, why Apple is investing in original content, and some of the challenges that arise from that. It was a great conversation, and I wanted to break it out of the two-hour-long episode and make it its own thing. There's also a companion blog post to this episode at my blog, The Rajan Report, that goes more in-depth on these topics. You can find a link to that in the show notes. So that's what today's episode is. If you've heard this before, feel free to skip it. If not, I think you'll enjoy it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Sam. You wrote a thing. Let's talk about the thing you wrote. I, I wrote a thing. Uh, it's a post called Apple and the Video Market. Um, and, and essentially, it you know, we've heard a lot of stuff about, hey, Apple is, uh, you know, uh, getting these shows or ordering these shows. They spawn up an original content division reporting to Eddie. Um, Eddie Q, who is the SVP of Internet. You, you know who this guy is if you're listening to this show. I'm not going to explain it. Um, the one with the loud shirts. Uh, sure, sure. Loud shirts. Cause sometimes, uh, you can hear colors. Um, but, but yeah, so they, they've spun up an original content division. Uh, they've also, uh, you know, they brought these two guys, Zach and Jamie into, uh, to kind of run that whole part of the company, uh, reporting to Eddie and, that's interesting because up until now, right? I mean, it seems that the sort of video slash TV strategy has been like, we'll be like a platform or neutral sort of party on the content side. You know, we're, we're happy to merchandise and like, you know, promote and do all the stuff that they've done with Apple Music and books and, and you know, the iTunes TV store and movie store before that. But Apple has never actually been like, hey, we're going to, get our own stuff, our own first party content in the way that say like a Nintendo makes Mario games for the switch, right? Like that's not a, that's not a thing that they've, they've ever done before. And frankly, that's not really a thing that's happened in video before. Um, so everyone kind of gets that. I think that's a point that's been kind of well understood. Um, but contextualizing that with the sort of broader strategy around products and services and, where all that stuff is yet or is right now, I don't think has really been done yet. And that was kind of the, 
the driving reason or this piece's reason for being there. Basically, it's like, um, why don't we connect all the dots here? I'm just really excited. I'm going to get a chance to say that I like the TV app, even though everyone else hates it. You know, the the whole the TV app sucks meme is, I think that is very out of date at this point. Like, if you picked it up in December 2016 and were like, this doesn't have Netflix, I'm never going to use it. Uh, you should really go back and take another look at it. It's come a long way since then. Uh, and, and to be fair, uh, Netflix actually does work within the context of the catalog features on, on the TV app. You can search for Netflix content. You can launch it in there. You just can't, uh, you know, it doesn't show up in the up next queue. Um, which is fine because the real, like Netflix's UI, not perfect, but it's not also a dumpster fire, right? Uh, basically every other, (laughs) every other app. That's made by some media company, whether it is, uh, you know, Hulu or HBO or Showtime or whatever is pretty bad, right? They're either bad from design perspective, they're bad from like implementation perspective. Uh, and when all those things like kind of hit you at the same time, it's just like the future of TV is apps. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's not great. And, uh, you know, we could we could go on a laundry list of like what each app does that annoys you, right? I mean, like Hulu, like the Hulu interface now looks like they they took the brief, threw it out the window, and then went to their marketing design team and were like, "Hey, can you make our app now?" Thanks. Um. My favorite uh, individual problem in apps is the th- exact thing that the TV app and with what no one remembers you can do but Siri search on the Apple TV solves, and that's search. Netflix, it's buried three rows up from where you end up in the app when you launch the app. You actually have to scroll up off the screen to an invisible search button. And HBO puts it last on their menu, which for some reason runs down the left side of the screen in 10-point font. So the primary purpose of these apps clears is clearly to drive you to content that the content provider already wants you to see and not allow you to discover content or find content that you already want to see that you know about before launching the app. And that's where things like the TV app, the search app, and Siri come in on the Apple TV and actually work quite well. That functionality actually lets you search by a ton of rich information, whether it be director or actor slash cinematographer, whatever quality you want to search for, as well as just searching by title. It's, I'd say, about 90% perfect. Within a couple of characters, it usually has the right thing that you're looking for pulled up on screen, which is way better than any other app can do. And because it indexes across every app you have on the device, and even apps that you don't have downloaded but Apple knows about, you can find where to watch the thing that you already want to watch if you're able to watch it, which is awesome. That being said, it doesn't know about things that exist in a catalog that Apple doesn't have access to, which isn't much, but if you're looking for some esoteric movie, which I sometimes am, and I'm sure you are, that then it falls down completely and gives you a, a result that is totally useless. 
Not that anyone else does any better in this regard. All the TV boxes are terrible. All of the apps on all the TV boxes are terrible. But why don't we talk a little bit about why that actually is important? Why are these apps and these boxes relevant now when they weren't five or six years ago when we all bought them for the first time? Yeah. Um, before we get to that, I, I think one 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 thing I I always like to point out um, is the sort of and I guess this is somewhat carrying water for for Apple a little bit, but the the genius of of TV ML kit as opposed to UI kit for TV apps and that whole sort of templated XML sort of based system uh, for building Apple TV apps. It was the original Apple TV SDK uh, because they realized who their target developer was. It was these media companies who don't really necessarily have deep benches of native, you know, app developers, right? They probably have a couple, you know, web developers here and there and, and, uh, you know, someone who manages the back end. Uh, like that sort of taking into consideration, like your target developers strengths and weaknesses in building a solution for them and then that yielding a better overall customer experience, uh, I think it's something that hasn't really been articulated or, or, or said. So good job, that team at Apple. <laughs> um, but to your, to your point about um, why do these boxes matter? Well, you know, and I think what Apple TV 4 came out in 2015, but prior to that, the sort of streaming box thing uh, shipped in 2010 with that Apple TV 2 that Steve Jobs uh, introduced with the uh, with uh, with the Retina iPod Touch, I think. Um, not that that matters. Uh, essentially, if you look at the broader trend in the TV market right now, people are basically the notion of cord cutting, right? Where it's like people canceling cable and just subscribing just to internet from these cable and you know uh, telco companies. Uh, that's a real thing. Effectively, as I stated in the piece, pay TV is in is in decline. Uh, I'm not going to kind of belabor the point with numbers and statistics, but that sort of traditional, I'm going to pay Comcast, uh, you know, a hundred bucks a month. That includes you know all the channels, a bunch of set top boxes, and taxes and fees and all this stuff. Like that whole model is on the decline. It stopped growing sometime in 2009. Uh, it's not coming back. Um, and at the same time that's happening, you have services like Netflix and Hulu and HBO Now and the sort of streaming uh, subscription services where people are, uh, are are migrating to because all the content's on demand. You get it on every device. It's a low cost to cancel or change or all that stuff. Um, it's, it's a pretty big change in how... Uh, you know, you can experience content compared to before. And once you go that route, uh, it's hard not to look at the other stuff, like the old pay TV system and be like, that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, if you, let's say you got an iPod, right. And then someone told you, Oh yeah. If you want to hear this new album, you have to, uh, make an appointment to like sit near a speaker and listen to the whole album. You can't pause it. Uh, and if you want to hear the whole thing before they actually release it tomorrow so you can on the whatever download service it is you have to like record it with a tape uh no one would do that <laughs> and that's why pay tv is dying i guess but 
we're replacing it, or some people are trying to replace it with exactly the same thing, which I, of course, pay for because I'm an idiot, but it works sometimes, replacing it with a streaming service. Linear TV isn't totally dead, but of course I pay for it so I can watch sports because sports ball is a thing that I enjoy sometimes. Right. And I mean, and in, in that regard, I mean, like I've said a couple of times, I think in a piece and I'm kind of art, I'm, let's just say it now, uh, linear TV is, doesn't make sense in an on-demand world. There are exceptions to that, right? The exceptions to that are sports and like 24 seven news. And there are some things that just by their nature are live. Uh, the reason sports has been such a hard nut to crack has been the way those rights have been negotiated with the networks, right? You have, uh, you know, it is all sorts of, you know, geographic, uh, you know, fragmentation on that front too, with who can broadcast stuff. You have all this like uh, weird legalese around blackouts and, you know, they're, they're, like it, the whole sports thing is a pretty big mess in terms of rights. And that's part of why it's taken so long for that to, uh, you know, push people over. Arguably, sports is the thing that's like held the whole pay TV ecosystem together for so long. And even that is showing signs of kind of falling apart. Right. I think Disney's probably quite worried about ESPN's performance over the last few years. It looks like their ability to insist that every single person in the United States pay for their channel in one way or another is going away slowly at first, but then quickly. It's uh, an old saying, I guess. Yeah, it's... uh, I mean, when you look at ESPN, right? I mean, what are the... What content are you actually watching on ESPN, right? There's like SportsCenter... There is, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, Wimbledon and some of the tennis stuff, but that's not like Super Bowl scale stuff, right? The NFL has always kind of been a broadcast network affair with the exception of uh, Monday Night Football on ESPN. Uh, like ESPN's always been more of like a news thing, not, not at, le- at least to me. And like, I could be wrong here because like, I don't know how many times I've been gone to like a bar or something and like ESPN's on and it's like, bowling or like some other you know it's like espn 8 the ocho is on and it's like you know curling and it's like in the middle of summer of in a scandinavian country you know it's like who's watching this and i get that you have to fill dead air but like this is really worth like 10 bucks a month per subscriber for all these cable companies i got your reference just just to make that perfectly clear if you didn't get that reference you can email pavan or contact him on Twitter. But it really never made sense to pay $10 a month for these people. And that's why Disney has spent so much money on exclusives like Monday Night Football, which for many years was considered appointment TV for millions of American households. And once they bought it, they moved the games, which had previously been broadcast free to air on ABC, over to ESPN, so only those who paid for ESPN could get it. Even more interestingly, they never have, and presumably will soon, but I don't think they've fully announced when it's going to happen, allowed you to subscribe to ESPN without buying a cable package. So there's this weird symbiotic relationship between Disney, who broadcasts some sports, a limited amount given, 
and the cable companies who know that so long as ESPN is only available through the cable companies, people will pay for an entire cable subscription just to have access to this one channel, which itself allows Disney to demand an absurdly high dollar amount per subscriber for this channel. And frankly, if I got cable in this apartment, ESPN would be more than a third of the cable bill each month. Yeah, well... Well, yeah, because yeah, they also, on top of that, they do this ridiculous sort of uh, bundling thing, right? It's like, you can only get ESPN if you carry, like, ESPNs 2 through 15. Uh, and, uh, you know, if if you don't, good luck. And, and carrying ESPNs 2 through 15 uh, also means that you have to, uh, you know, pay for those as well. It's a, You know, that's not a, uh, it's not a great deal for, for the providers or for the cable companies either. Um, but, but in, in a broader sense though, right, you know, everyone was like sports is going to be the reason this thing holds together and people don't turn off pay TV and all that stuff. Um, look at the media environment we're in now, right? I mean, not only is every, you know, TV is increasingly on demand, right? With uh, all the Netflixes and Hulus of the world, but music's on demand, uh, books are, you have gaming now. You have all this crazy content on YouTube that is always there. Uh, you have esports. You have podcasts. I might have already said podcasts, but I'm going to say podcasts again because podcasts. Um, you you have there's so much more content and so many other ways that as a media consumer you can spend your time, and a lot of those are frankly better deal. You know, better values, right? Like a sixty dollar video game that gives you 50 to 100 hours of, of uh, you know, entertainment is one of the best deals out there. Um, and, and it's, you know, it, it's that, that's the environment that pay TV is operating in there. And it's, it's really hard to see, uh, see how it, it goes back to the old way. I mean, you look at, look at the next generation, right? Um, and how they are next generation, not us, uh, but people younger than us and how much they use YouTube and, and how influential YouTube has become for building, uh, you know, businesses and celebrity and and all of these things. Uh, it's, you know, I it's I struggle to look at that and be like, yeah, like, the you know, pay TV a lot of the 90s is coming back. Like, I think that ship has, has sailed and continues to sail away. Uh, in, in, if I just look at the industry from an intuitive perspective. Just to make the point, I think when you said the next generation, you actually meant Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is the new media, online-only TV show in that universe. The next generation was broadcast in the mid-90s. There's, there's something to be said there, I guess. <laughs> yes. I, I think that Frankly, the whole ecosystem, even the non-linear paid services, are fooling themselves if they think that there's going to be room for everyone. And it seems like every single content company is trying to create their own service so they can control distribution and production and therefore take a larger piece of the pie without having to give profits to anyone else. Notably in this category is Disney, who are ending their deal with Netflix and going it their own way to the point where they've even acquired 
other companies that will purportedly help them make a go at being another Netflix. But honestly, I think that when people have cut the cord, they're not going to be willing to go back to paying the same $60 per month just six ways. They'll want to pay for one service and everyone who doesn't have everyone who doesn't have the best content will end up on a second tier where they have some smaller specialized sliver of the market. HBO at one point had that as comedy and then they had it as high quality TV production. Of course, Netflix has taken both of those markets away from them or at least a large portion of those markets. And I think that frankly, if anyone else is deluding themselves that they can build their own streaming service, <clears throat> CBS, ahem, then they're not going to be long for this world as an independent company. I mean, here's the thing, right? You look at, um, if you, if you, what makes a good streaming service, right? One is just quality of service, right? Like anytime I launch the damn app, the app, the, the client application needs to launch and I need to be able to watch content, right? There's that. Uh, two, it needs to be uh, curated, right? There needs to be some thought put into what content's being displayed. How how are you promoting things within that platform? Uh, you know, it can't be the same. Like, you, you can't just open up an app and then just see a list A to Z of titles. There's literally a view in HBO now where you can just view a list of titles A to Z. I have no idea how to do that in Netflix, and I'm pretty sure it's because it doesn't exist. Um, it doesn't. And, and to I've the, tried. <laughs> and to that point, though, right? Like, it's the third thing is that uh, these things need to be personalized, right? Like, they, HBO is still in this sort of broadcast mentality where when I open up the app, I see the same thing that you see, the same thing that, uh, you know, my grandmother sees, uh, the same thing that, uh, you know, my niece sees or whatever, right? It's everyone sees the same thing. Uh, Netflix is complete. I like. I don't know what what the hell's going on in their app when I look at it on someone else's device. Like it is, it is insane how personalized and dialed in that is. Uh, and you know, another good example outside of the streaming uh, media world is, is you know Spotify and uh, Apple Music. I would say are also leaders in that personalization front. And the thing about personalization is that you're less likely to turn away as a customer. And, uh, you know, it, that drives engagement and usage, right? It's the thing that keeps you coming back. I guess to know you and all that, all that cool stuff. Um, with the exception of Netflix and to a lesser degree, Amazon and YouTube, uh, every other streaming product completely. And I'm just going to be explicit about it. Like shits the bed on that front. Like they just don't seem to, you know, I think they they're they I'm sure they're smart and they're re, like they're you know they're product folks and whoever they know that this is a gap for them but like if you're a data scientist or you know someone who writes like the sort of machine learning algorithms that power power really strong and good recommendations engines are you going to go work for a media company are you going to go work for HBO are you going to go work for Showtime or CBS I think the answer there is pretty obviously no <laughs> um you know, you're going to go work for Netflix. I mean, there's like a, it's funny in this regard, there's like a sort of supply side constraint for media companies because they're media companies, right? Like they're never going to be able to get like a player 
talent to build their services. And that's part of why like Disney was just like, yo, we need to buy BAM tech or at least like have a majority share of it because this is our, this is the easiest way we can get that talent in house to help us get this thing off the ground. Um, and, and going back, you know, going back to the quality of service thing, uh, so many of these apps even fail in that regard, right? Like how many times have you opened up a streaming app and it's just like, like it, it loses the token or whatever and you have to re-auth with it or, uh, you know, it, you get in, but then like it can't get to the stream or like it's the way it's architected, like gets you into a situation like you had on Sunday where the Super Bowl ran over its allotted time and uh, Hulu didn't account for that in their UI or anything. So you try watching it into the featured thing and it says like, there's nothing to watch here. Like after 7 20 PM like that, all those things are just like, shouldn't happen. Right. Right. And now given there are other groups who have a vested interest in making this experience suck. A lot of the reason why signing into apps on other platforms or signing into any TV apps on any platform is so terrible is because the cable companies want it to remain terrible. So you still have to pay for a box from them in order to watch the content that exists within those apps. Right. Well, and and then there's also economic. uh, So I I have some inside baseball on that, I guess. Um, you know, I, we mentioned that Stars app earlier, right? That is very convenient and consolidates, uh, uh, you know, cable authentication and like people who are subscribing via the App Store authentication, right? Um, there was actually when they launched, uh, you know, Comcast was like, uh, you know, sorry, uh, but this is not something we're interested in supporting. Uh, and so they were able to specifically prevent that client from accessing like auth services through the TV everywhere infrastructure. They could basically be like, no, we don't want to support this. Uh, if you want to watch content with your subscription, uh, use, you know, the first party Comcast app, which is kind of their sort of leverage on content providers to prevent them from, uh, you know, flying the coop on or going rogue on that front, right? They can just be like, all right, we'll stop supporting your app. We still have your content. Uh, and, uh, you know, our customers can still access it. Um, but there's also been a sort of cold war on that front too. For example, uh, when Apple TV four launched and the app store launched and you had all these, you know, TV OS apps launching for each content provider on the app store. Uh, there were a couple from, I think scripts in particular. So that's the uh, scripts owns a uh, food network, HGTV, uh, DIY. So they shipped some reasonably good tvOS apps on Apple TV and when you tried to log in with your cable subscription almost all of the cable providers were there except for Comcast and it's not that Comcast had blacklisted all of the all of uh scripts uh you know you know third or TV everywhere apps um but they had explicitly omitted support for uh for tvOS like the iOS client was able to work fine and again, it's because like supporting a Apple TV box or Roku or whatever at the time, they viewed it as an existential threat, right? Like it's it's the set top, but you know, it, you're using that box instead of their box to access the content you're paying for. So then you're going to be like, what am I paying for this box for? Uh, and that's the, the that's the sort of the the unspoken thing about the the pay TV industry is that. Uh, 
simply aggregating and redistributing someone else's content, right? That's not a great business. That's not a very high margin business, right? Uh, you look at, uh, you know, um, take for example, uh, Netflix, right. And how much money they are, they are, uh, raising in via the debt markets to fund original content and, and how like no one's buying Netflix stock because it's like, this is a really high margin business guys. Like they're buying it because it's a growing subscriber base, the recurring revenue, not because of high margins. Um, the cable industry has been able to get around this by, you know, for every box in in a subscriber household, uh, you know, charging a recurring rental fee for it, right? You can't go buy a Comcast X1 box. You have to rent it in perpetuity till you either move out of the area, decide you don't want to use, uh, use that box for TV or you die. Like it's, those are the three options for stopping and not being one of their customers for a long time. Uh, there was no alternative. And, and when you look at that and you realize that that's where, you know, that's what actually keeps the lights on right there, you know, the, the revenue from, from the traditional, uh, you know, pay TV subscription is, is, you know, good for, you know, you're barely breaking even there. Right. Or, or making a little bit of profit and all the, the real, cream of the crop is, or gravy, so to speak, is, is from the set-top boxes, then yeah, you're not going to support an Apple TV uh, with TV everywhere. Uh, and, and, it's, and that's the same reason why, you know, none of the major uh, TV providers support uh, single sign-on, right? I mean, like, single sign-on is like, I remember when Apple TV 4 shipped, everyone was like, why is this not a thing? This should be a thing. Well, it's like, you have to wrangle cats that have their fangs out and are actively being like, no, we are not doing this because this is like not good for us as or in our interest. Yeah. Um, they they launched it, and I think it's now been over two years since they launched the feature of single sign-on with zero of the major cable providers still on it. I think like DirecTV might be DirecTV and Dish might be playing ball, but like. Again, that's not, uh, you know, Comcast isn't, Verizon isn't, uh, Charter and all these guys. Like, no, no one's playing ball on that front. Yeah. Notably, also, Dish, uh, who is the over-the-top, meaning the streaming TV service that I subscribe to, does not support single sign-on for customers of the streaming service. They only support it if you have a Dish bolted to the side of your house. I live in an apartment where I cannot bolt a dish to the outside of the building. I would get in big trouble and lose my apartment. I quite like my apartment. Yeah, so we can all agree that, like, you know, the current state of the market is you go buy, like, a cheap streaming box, like a Roku or something, you install Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon and maybe HBO, and, and that's about it. And then you maybe you subscribe to one of these over-the-top packages, right? Um but like on the hardware side, that market's super commodified, right? It's like these sort of $30 things that uh, all have the same content. Um, and then on, this, on the streaming service side, like you have all these different like differentiated content offerings to make you pick one service or the other, right? Like, you know, Netflix's original uh, content is so you subscribe to Netflix, right? Uh, Amazon is the same way. HBO has always been that way. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, content differentiates services. 
Um, so the and then where does Apple play into all this, right? Because because clearly, uh, you know, the fact that they're now getting into this sort of original content space, uh, Apple TV has kind of been a walk back to being a uh, video first device. Um, it's uh. Where, where where are they? And basically, I, to really sum it up, right, the Apple TV hasn't really, you know, taken the lead in market share the way something like even an accessory project, product like Watch has, right? I mean, like, Watch is premium priced in its market. Uh, it, it has some really great differentiated features compared to, like, fitness trackers like the Fitbit, uh, which traditionally I've seen lower ASPs. Uh, but it's eating, it's cleaning up in that market, right? So this, this isn't impossible, right? Where, where Apple is cleaning up in a market that is filled with, uh, commoditized competitors. Um, so why is that? And really at the end of the day, it's because Apple's differentiation in markets like, you know, phones and tablets and PCs and watches and all, all that stuff has it's traditionally been derived from best in class integration of hardware software services with like a focus on customer experience right i think that's that's a fair kind of way to say it right yeah and we just spent 20 minutes describing the ways that the software and customer experience sucks on apple tv not for reasons that apple can particularly control mind you but nonetheless, it is not a great experience for customers. And so there's no reason for anyone to buy an Apple TV to get this mediocre app experience over the mediocre app experience on a competing box, whether that's Roku or Amazon or even the weird whatever Google's doing today. Well, I'd even challenge you on that point to say like Apple does have a solution for this in the TV app, right, to bring it fully home. Uh, you know, the TV app, with the exception of Netflix, abstracts a lot of those things we were complaining about, right? It abstracts the the shitty UIs and and all of that nonsense and consolidates that into one one single place where you get everything. Um, the issue is even if that's super awesomely designed, even if like the iTunes Store is a really nicely designed application where you can get content. You know, that's another thing we didn't mention. Like, you could still just go buy shows on iTunes, right? I mean, if you're just you're just like fuck this whole like pay TV nonsense and TV everywhere apps and streaming services and all this crap. Uh, I will pay a premium to just have a simple UI and get these shows the next day, never see an ad, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but again, like that's too expensive, and it's uh, you know it it doesn't work. Um, you know, it's it might be better from a pure user experience perspective, but that's not going to stop someone from getting a better value out of Netflix or something, right? So you you have you have the, you know basically the nut of it is this market video as a market is differentiated by content. Like it doesn't matter how amazing and breakthrough your hardware and software and your design and your UI and all that stuff is. If there's no content there, I mean, how much time do you actually spend in menus when you're trying to watch TV anyways, right? Like most of the time you're on TV, you're watching a video, there's no UI on the screen. Exactly. 
And uh, how has all of their work on fancy hardware and software and UI done for Apple TV's prospects in the market and its financial performance? Well, I would tell you, Sam, except uh, in the most recent earnings release and the conference call, it was nowhere to be found. Not even like a market research anecdote saying, oh, yeah, this is the highest customer set or, uh, you know, Kantar World Panel says that Apple TV is the highest growing, uh, you know, streaming TV box on the market. You know, nothing, complete radio silence. So, uh you know, and if you read the piece, I know we ended up kind of uh, alluding to a lot of that stuff. That the the piece on RajamReport.com, plug in the blog, uh, RajamReport.com has the actual data kind of laid out in a more cohesive fashion, um, and, and makes the case a little bit better than I am currently making it right now. Um, yeah, yeah. The the it doesn't look great for the Apple TV though, does it? No, it it really doesn't. Um, it it's it it is a laggard in the, in the marketplace. Um, you know, it is fourth in market share as of like July of last year. Uh, and that's a situation where it's like, okay, like maybe we cut the price and go for market share, right? There's that sort of famous Steve Jobs quote where he's like, you know, old Apple didn't know when to you know take a hit on margin a little bit and go for market share. Um, you know, that seems like a pretty straightforward opportunity for that. Instead, in September, they release Apple TV 4K. They go further up market in price. And now you have this giant sort of gap between, uh, you know, uh, the Apple TV product line and literally everything else in the market. I mean, when you plot it out on a chart, it's pretty crazy looking. Yeah, it seems like uh, that's not really going to get them any market share. And the premium price, which usually makes up for not having market share with revenue, also doesn't really seem to be working for them. Because if it was, they'd probably tell us about it. Even in abstracted uh, Bezos charts of, look, it's doing super well, but it probably isn't. Yeah. Um, so so if, you were to, if I were to sum up the sort of like the three video products Apple has, right? iTunes Store... Uh, TV app and then Apple TV. Uh, you know, iTunes Store is fine, but like that segment of the market is on the decline, right? Like no one's buying TV shows. Um, I don't think many people were ever buying TV shows from iTunes, even from the very beginning. Oh, I, yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, again, that's the thing with unbundling, right? It your your cost per uh you know hour of content or whatever goes up. Um, so iTunes Store is not really a viable future, right? Um, the TV app's great, but it's I do, I think it's safe to say now that it's been on the market for you know over a year, uh, it's not so great that it justifies spending at least a hundred fifty dollars to get it on your TV, right? Um, and then three, like Apple TV is great, but I mean if you look at how it's positioned now as a video first device, I can get four TV. Uh, you know, 4K TV, sorry, not 4 TV, uh, 4K uh, content uh, from Fire TV or Chrome or, or whatever for a much lower price. Um, and so you have these things where these three offerings are in a spot where, yeah, they're objectively good, but in this market, it literally doesn't matter. Um, so, 
And that's where content comes in, right? That's why they've kind of woken up to the fact that uh, content is going to be what differentiates, you know, the product line going forward or portfolio going forward. But even then, like, there's a lot of open questions there, right? Like, is this stuff going to be good, right? I mean, it's not, uh, you know, a lot of people are pointing to, carpool karaoke and plan of the apps is you know this doesn't portend uh, well for the future content at apple and i mean whatever those are some weird experiments that they threw on apple music uh i don't really consider those to be something that uh that i'd be concerned about but the the overall notion of will the shows be good that's still kind of up in the air um, they've hired these guys, uh, you know, Zach and Jamie are good. They, you know, they did Breaking Bad and developed a couple other shows that are, that were big. Um, but as a institution, as a company, uh, Apple has traditionally stayed away from content creation. Right. And I think, uh, Steve historically, Steve Jobs would historically, you know, ha- has always articulated that point very well in various all things D conferences where he's like, well, if I were a content guy, why would I want to go work for a technical guy, you know, company? And if I were a technical guy, why would I want to go work for a content company? Like they just don't seem to understand each other. And you know, uh, uh, tech meme is littered with press releases of you know failed uh, you know cross pollination attempts between tech and entertainment. Um, I, th- I think what Netflix and Amazon have kind of proved is that hey, let's just give people uh, like a check you know, give talented people a check with a, or talented people with a track record a check and trust in their taste. And, uh, you know, they'll come up with something good. That seems to be the model going forward. Uh, and you know, that, that means that success is possible for Apple on the content quality front. Um, but okay, sure. Let's say the content is good. Is it worth, are you, would you go buy a, like a, $150 $150 Apple TV box to watch one new awesome show on your TV. I I should put this pretty simply and it's actually an easy example. I have two Apple TVs in my small apartment. I paid not full price for one of them and the other one was free. So that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> so no. Yes, that, that correct. The answer was no. Okay. Yeah. I mean that, uh, yeah, to me that speaks volumes, right? The, the jury's out whether, whether that, that's even going to be the thing that does it right. And so, you know, what other example of using content to differentiate a product exists, right? And, uh, the only obvious example that I can think of, uh, is the video game market. Right. Or, you know, you have uh, Microsoft, Sony, uh, Nintendo have their consoles. Uh, They're all effectively the same, particularly PS4 and Xbox One. Right. They're they're The reason you pick one or the other is either like from the network effect of your friends online or because of a particular game. In this case, you know, game is the content here or unit of content here that you can only get on one that you can't get on the other. Um, so no one's done that in video and certainly not at the, at the scale that Apple would be tried doing it with, uh, this current product portfolio. Right. And I, I think 
this is an area where if you look at who they've hired, right, particularly on the hardware product uh, product marketing side with Tim Tordahl, I believe is his last name, who used to be at uh, Amazon running Fire TV there. Uh, I'm curious to see how he kind of leads that product line in terms of pricing and positioning going forward, right? Whether he brings it more down market, he makes it more accessible and it's more competitive on price uh, than the, uh, you know, uh, the current offerings. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll admit, you know, way more about this little segment of the market than I do, but if uh, if the Apple TV actually does take off, then maybe it'll show up in some earnings report in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that would that would be you know maybe it won't just be an, another product. Um, you know, and speaking speaking of earnings reports and and segments, I'm almost done ranting about this. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, there, there's there's a fundamental choice here, right? It's like, what is more important, right? Is building a, a another revenue stream that's high margin, differentiated hardware, like another, you know, let's say Apple Watch is a good benchmark because uh, um, the phone is just a one, once in a lifetime thing, I think is safe to say, right? Yeah, no, um... Companies are lucky if they have one product that becomes as dominant in the marketplace by itself as the iPhone is. And there is no company that has ever repeated that success, and I don't expect Apple to. Even if they have the perfect team, there's no way that any company can do that twice, much less three times. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and, and so so we, we so that's one option, right? Like, is this Apple TV another watch type multi billion dollar high margin differentiated product business, or is it is it uh, is services the priority? Right, is growing services revenue and pushing that harder the priority? Because those are two different sets of incentives, right? Uh, and and that begs the question: All right, you have a, a original content. Are you going to keep it on Apple platforms, or are you going to put it on everything? Right? Are you going to launch a cross platform streaming service the way? music is on Android and Windows via iTunes. Um, because if you're not, and your goal is services revenue, then you're leaving a lot of money on the table, right? Like imagine like Netflix and Amazon are tapping into this huge amount of growth by not, uh, you know, limiting themselves to any particular platform. And, and like Amazon's very aggressive about that. I mean, like there's not much in the way of incentives for them to support Apple TV and, uh, or, you know, the fact that they are actively okay with supporting the TV app and, uh, Siri universal search and all the indexing stuff there, like that says a lot about their priorities, right? Like they couldn't give two shits whether you're watching their content on a fire TV stick or an Apple TV. They just want you to be a prime subscriber to sum it all up to really bring this home. The core tension driving all these sort of questions I'm raising here is, between Apple's vertical differentiated hardware model and the sort of more horizontal uh, nature of content services like Netflix and Hulu. Um, and there's a sort of fundamental choice here, right, that, that Apple is going to have to make, right? Is Apple TV premium hardware product? Is that the priority? Are we using video just to differentiate that and, and push that forward? 
Um, or is is the streaming or is the revenue from having a streaming a cross platform video service what what the point of this whole thing is? Um, and and once you figure that out, once they figure that out, like figuring out what how to you know, merchandise content, the TV app, how to bring this stuff to market, how to price it, whether they have to go license catalog content from studios the way, uh, you know, Netflix and Amazon do to build out the rest of their library. You know, all those other decisions are like, you know, have a dependency on sorting this big thing out. And that was the first breakout episode of Rajam Radio. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sam about Apple and the video market. I think it still holds up pretty well, which is a funny thing to say given that we only had the original conversation a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you like Sam and want to hear more about what he's up to, uh, you can find him on Twitter at, at SamTheGeek. You can find myself on Twitter at, at PubAndRajan. If you have a moment, please do rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Give it a recommendation in Overcast. Share it with your friends and your family. And uh, we'll be back soon with uh, some brand new episodes. So keep an eye on your podcast app for that. All right. We out. <laughs>